Good morning. We uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles if you'd like to to Acts chapter 16. That's where we're going to uh, begin this morning. Um, also, I'm, I'm curious as how many of you are still, I mean, you're doing good. You've made it through Leviticus and you are continuing in your, your daily or really five-day-a-week Bible reading. Anybody? All right, this is good. This is good. I know Leviticus was tough. I know it was tough, um, but, uh, but everything's there for a purpose. But, but understand, you know, what the purpose is. The purpose is not about reading the Bible through its entirety, okay? It's, it's not about finishing it in a year or a year and a half is really kind of the way we laid it out. The, the purpose is that every week we're in God's Word, every week. We're there. Isn't that great? And, and we've got the book of Mark that's going to be coming up, and, and that's where we're going to just, we're just going to pause for a while and just stay in a book. And we're going to do it like Galatians in that we're going to deal with context in Bible class. We're going to look at more of the, the high application that we find it in our worship services uh, together. And also made mention of those little Mark booklets. You can find them in the back if you would like for us to order you one. They're $5. Uh, we're, we are not making profit off these things. And so uh, you can choose between the, the black one uh, or the pretty one. Uh, so I know, I know there's, there's two, two different ones that you can do. And if you don't, you know, you don't have to pay today. If you want to pay, that's fine. We can put you down as paid. But the main thing is next week, I believe next week is the last, last time we're going to take those and then we'll make those orders. And if you don't get one, that's okay. Uh, in fact, you can order one later on Amazon if you want to. That's where you can find those. Uh, or you can um, just not have one at all. It's not a big deal because it's just the, it's a single book of Mark, okay? And on one side is the scriptures, and on the other side, is just it's blank. It's got lines, and you can take notes. That's what that's for. It's just for taking notes. So you can uh, bring your Bible and a piece of paper if you want to, and that's okay as well. But these are, these are kind of neat little things that we, that we find. Um, so we're going back into Acts chapter 16. Last week we had our, our Mission Sunday and went really well. Just really appreciate being uh, being here and talking with us. And, and so we're going back into chapter 16 again. And if you remember, Paul has finally made it to this area of Macedonia. It's a whole new territory. This is Paul's second missionary journey. And if you remember the whole vision and everything and, and the Macedonian calling them over, and now he comes over. And, and we saw the very first conversion was this woman by the name of Lydia. And it says, Lydia and her whole household. It was exciting. And so what happens in today's lesson is just weird, okay? There's just some things that happen that it's like, okay, I hadn't seen that on TV, you know? Uh, and this is one of, those, one of those places. So we're going to start in chapter 16. Remember, he's still in Philippi. He, they are, the mission team is now staying with Lydia. They're staying at her house. So in verse 16, it says, Once, as we were on our way to prayer... A slave girl met us who had a spirit of prediction. Anybody have something different than spirit of prediction? What's that? Divination, yes. Anybody have anything different than that? 
What? Future. Okay. It says, and it made a profit for her owners by fortune telling. As, the, as she followed Paul and us, she cried out. Now remember, this is a demon-possessed woman. She's crying out, these men are the slaves of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And she did this for many days. But Paul was greatly aggravated. Not thrilled, he's aggravated. And turning to the Spirit, said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. It's great, right? Keep going. When her owners saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities, and bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. Then the mob joined in the attack against them, and the chief magistrate stripped off their clothes, ordered them to be beaten with rods, and they had inflicted many blows on them. They threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to keep them securely guarded because we know they are dangerous men, right? Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison. It's like a dungeon. And they secured their feet in the stocks. Well, that escalated quickly, didn't it? <laughs> Going from this wonderful miracle to all of a sudden there is just... This is awful. And don't you know that it was annoying? Paul is trying to teach. Paul is, and this, this demon-possessed woman just following him everywhere. And no doubt, whenever he's teaching, he's being interrupted. Now, we learn something about demons, and everybody usually is like, oh, you know, those are fascinating creatures. And they are. And it tells us a little bit about them. Just kind of a little side note here. One is demons can tell the future. You want to know about demons? They have the ability to tell the future. Now, they are not all-knowing, but this, these guys had a lucrative business based upon this. And actually, if you read the text literally, what it says is that, that she had a python spirit. And that goes to mythology. We're not going to get into all of that and Pythia and all that. It has to do with the snake, so we don't want to know about that anyway. Uh, but to know that in Luke's time, when he's writing this, what was happening is people who were called to have a python spirit is someone who could tell the future. Or it could mean someone who was good at ventriloquism. I know, crazy. Uh, and they could trick people into thinking they have some kind of, of thing here. Now, we know that this, is, this, was, this was a thing. This was a real thing. Because it says, the way Luke writes this thing out, um, he shows us this is a real thing. Here's the other thing. Demons can tell the truth. They can tell the truth when it serves their purpose, right? And it's interesting what the demon says about the mission team. They're servants of the Most High God, and they're speaking words of salvation. Are you not blown away by that? I'm blown away by that. 
one thing we need to understand is, is the Most High God is not only used of the God of Israel. It was a term that was also used of Zeus. It's very possible, Luke doesn't say, but it's possible that this, this spirit that she has, this ability to tell fortunes, they may have said this is coming through the power or the authority of Zeus. So when Paul casts this demon out, what he's showing is that his God is greater than Zeus and is greater than all the other gods because there was none other God that was greater than Zeus in their terminology in that particular realm. Here's another thing. Demons must submit to the authority of Jesus. Don't you love that? And, and Paul does not speak on his behalf, does he? He doesn't say, by, the, by my authority. He doesn't even say, hey, get out. He says it by the name of Jesus Christ. And you notice here, he doesn't address the woman. He addresses the spirit. He tells that spirit, get out of her in the name of Jesus, Messiah. And when we get to Mark, we're going to see that Jesus had the ability to cast out demons. But the whole book of Mark, it just, it just starts fast. It's exciting. It shows us something. We'll, we'll talk more as we go. So Paul, Paul's Holy Spirit, what we learn here, Paul's Holy Spirit is greater than this woman's unholy spirit. Right? But we also know it got him in trouble. And we would think this would be a good thing. This woman has a spirit. She's a slave to this spirit. And we think it's a great thing, but that's, that's not what we see here. And we see that the owners is the ones that really caused the riot. And, and they created this out of greed. They lost money. They're losing their profits. They accuse them of, of causing riots in the city, causing disturbing the city, and even breaking the law. Now, if you look into the law they're referring to, the, there was a law, but no one practiced it back in the day, which was simply that Philippi, which was a Roman colony, you could not come in and take converts to something that is not a Roman cult, okay? And so they're accusing them of this. But, but then we also see something else that I think is very important that Luke shows us, and, he, and it's what they say, they are Jews, Anti-Semiticism has been around ever since these people have been in Egypt. It has not stopped in the 21st century, has it? And here we see, he, they don't like the fact they're Jews. And so they are beaten, they are stripped, they are cast into prison, and they were not even given a trial. And that was against the law. And they'll pay for it in the end. But I want us to talk more about what happens when they get in there. So let's go to verse 25. So he says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose when the jailer woke up and saw the prison, doors of the prison open. And I love that, don't you? Do you catch this, what Luke has just said? And the jailer woke up. <laughs> he was asleep. 
Luke doesn't give us all the details. He gives us that detail. And so he, when he realizes this, he draws his sword and he's going to kill himself since he thought that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, don't harm yourself because all of us are here. Then the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he escorted them out and says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Fascinating. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the message of the Lord to him along with everyone in the house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and all his family were baptized. He brought them up into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had believed God with his entire household. So there is this massive earthquake that has occurred. It, is, it, is, it, has, it has hit the foundation of this prison so hard that chains are falling off and doors are swinging wide open. And, and when this jailer wakes up, he thinks exactly what we would think if we were that jailer. Everybody's gone. But then he does something that we don't normally think, which is he takes out his sword and he's going to commit Harry Carey, right? He's going to kill himself. And it's like strange to us. But, but this was a serious thing that was happening. It was a serious thing of what was going to happen to him anyway. But what's even more interesting than that is that, that Paul stops him from killing himself. He stops him. This guy is associated with the same people who had had him stripped and beaten with rods and thrown into a deep dungeon with the hardened of criminals and their feet placed in stocks, which is a very uncomfortable thing. And you sit there and you wonder, why? Why does Paul do that? I mean, if he goes ahead and does what he's going to do, listen, everybody can escape. Everybody's out. In fact, he doesn't escape at all, does he? It's like, what's the deal? Turn over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. This is, we traditionally call it the Sermon on the Mount. But probably a better rendering of it would be... Uh, sermon for disciples, because that's the way he begins in Matthew. He says, the disciples come to him, he begins to teach them. This is what he taught disciples. You want to know what this is about? This is what it's about. And what he does in this Sermon on the Mount is, is he, he speaks forth to the law, Torah, and then he gives it affirmation in some way, and then he comes and he places his teaching beside it. He is fulfilling it. He is showing what it really is about. And so when we come to verse 43 of chapter 5, listen to what Jesus says. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. The law that he gives here is 
is to love your neighbor. That it comes from the Torah. Does anyone know what book of the Bible it comes from? Leviticus, yes, yes, very good. Yeah, I know, you were, you were trying to get through Leviticus, and, and you were passing by some of those fast passages so fast, you may not have even seen it, right? But here it is, he says, to love your neighbor. Now, the real question that came up among the, the Jews is, well, then who is my neighbor that I have to love? And if you go back to Leviticus, he tells them, listen, you love your brothers. He's talking about Israel as a whole. The brothers and the sisters, all who are God's children. But then he goes on and he mentions other things. And he says, the foreigner. What? The foreigner who comes into our country and lives among us. We are to love them. And I love what he says there. He says, because you were once foreigners in the land. Don't forget that. So it's like, okay, well, this is who my neighbor is. But, then, but you know the questions don't stop, right? It's like us, you know. We... What is the law? What, what am I supposed to do or not do? And so we, we come up with all these things rather than understanding the real intent of what is being said. And so what they would do was simply this. Well, is my neighbor, someone that I love, someone who is a traitor to Israel? What about, like we see in our text, it's, it's Roman soldiers who treated us like trash. Where we were discriminated against as being Jews. Those who beat us, even though we didn't deserve beating. Do, do I have to love them? And Jesus says, yes. He says, yes. But the, the question is, why? And he tells us in verse 45 of this same passage of love your enemies. And he tells us in verse uh, 45, he says, so that you may be sons of your father in heaven. Now watch this. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You want to know you want to know what it means to be a child of God? He says, these are people who are children of God. They love their neighbor. And they love their enemy. Why do we do this? Because God does. And if you want to ever know how does God feel about the righteous and the unrighteous in society, all you have to do is watch the weather. You see that? He says he sends the sunshine and the rain, both necessities, on the righteous and the unrighteous, to those who deserve it and those who don't deserve it, to people who are good and people who are not good. And he says, you watch the weather. He does not send sunshine and rain just to the good people. And so what he's saying is, we love our enemies because that's the way God loves. That's what he's saying. And, and what Jesus is calling us to is greater, it is higher than the goodness, if you want to call it that, of the world. Because he says, he goes on, he says, for, in verse 46, if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? Whoa, you're comparing us to them. 
And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Again, slap in the face. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now understand, where we can get off on some of these things is the fact that he talk, talks about love, right? And our concept in America of love can be a lot of things. I know many in here are with me when I say, I love Taco Bell, right? Raise your hand if you love Taco Bell. Okay, these are all the poor people. Um, but we can put love to anything, right? But, and, and we can use it with this phileo type of love. Philadelphia, the city of what? Brotherly love, right? But what he uses here is agape. And agape is unconditional. In other words, what that means is I love someone because I've chosen to love them, not because I necessarily feel like loving them. That's a totally different thing. Totally different thing. And so the love that Jesus gives is a love that is without boundaries, and it is a love that is like God. You see this? And he says, when we choose agape love, what we're choosing is to love and to see people as the creator sees them, which is they are humans. They are all made in, in the image of God. They may have totally messed this thing up. But you need to see them the way God sees them. And I make a choice. Now I go back to Acts. And what happens there is just so fascinating to me. Because the first response out of this jailer's mouth is... Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Hmm. Why is a pagan jailer asking Paul and Silas about how to be saved? You could say, well, you know what? They're, they're godly men. They're religious guys. Listen, those jails have had godly or religious people before that have created some kind of mob mentality or created some kind of... There's, there's something different here. And I think Luke has already led us on. He's given us the clues that we need to understand. And one of those things is they have been stripped, beaten with rods. They're cast into this inner prison, put into stocks, and their reaction is what? singing and praying. They're worshiping God. Are you kidding me? They're not like these other guys down there. And I doubt they're like any religious movement people that have ever come down there. And I think more importantly is the fact this man who's about ready to commit suicide who he would have thought every prisoner in that jail would have been thrilled to have seen and they can get out of Dodge. They stop him. And they save him from taking his life. 
There's something different. And, and that's where I really want to put this peg down this morning. Because when we talk about the discipleship process, we've looked at these, these stories of conversion in Acts. And what we have seen is there are those who have been sent by God. They get in, into God's work. They're doing his plan. And they are coming beside of other people. And they are bringing them to the cross of Jesus Christ. But here's an instance where someone who is not of God comes alongside of others. And they come alongside because they see there's something different, right? Have you ever lived so close to Jesus? that people just want to know what you know? Has your life been so filled with the Spirit of God that people see a Spirit-filled person in a room filled of, of fleshly, worldly people? You say, what does that look like? You can look at it. In Galatians 5, it starts off with, with, you know, the flesh, those who are living according to the flesh. And, and, and he, he shows all of these, these things that they're doing. And then he says, okay, but those who live by the Spirit. And what he says is, it's so, so interesting. He doesn't even say he's the most moral person in the room, which they probably will be, but that's not what makes this up. It's love. And joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. He says, you show me someone who lives like that in a world that is people who are living according to the flesh and people are going to see a difference. Now, they may persecute you for it, but when they get to their time of distress, and this jailer is in distress, He wants to know what they know. This is not to say that we're perfect. We're not. But how do we portray our lives? Hey, I've seen Facebook warriors, social media warriors. I call them friends of mine. And, and they can get on there and they can talk about all of these, you know, we need to put God back in America. And they can rally behind some kind of immorality that's happening in our world. And then yet you'll see other posts and you're like, really? You can have people and, and, and they can say, you know what? This immorality is just wrong. But then later on in the week they can share with them some tips on how to, how to cheat on their taxes. And with the same mouth that they say, I love God, they can use that same mouth to go into this uh, profanity-filled rage on somebody. Or they begin to, you know, gossip about other people. 
or they use that same mouth to say, I hate you. And James talks about that, doesn't he? James 3, you can go read that later on. We're not perfect. I don't want you to get the idea that we are. We all make mistakes. There's things in my life at times that I'm like, I wish I hadn't have done that. I wish I, I wish I wasn't that. But what is your overall essence? You know, what would someone say this is this is a person who knows the question of what I need to do to be saved? They know that answer because I've witnessed it in their lives. Is God's word something that we quote to people? Or is it something that's written on our hearts by the Spirit of God? In other words, the word of God is being lived out in my life. Because quoting scripture and being scripture, those are two totally different things. And, and both can interconnect. But if you quote scripture, but you're not living by that word, no one's going to ask you, what do I need to do to be saved in my time of distress? So we're called to be a light. There's a song we're learning, and I introduced it uh, a couple weeks ago in I think in class, I uh, can't remember. I think it's on a Wednesday night. I can't remember. I was going to do it in, in class this morning, and I couldn't find my adapter. Um, someone either stole it or I lost it. Probably I lost it. Um, but it makes me feel better to think there, they, there's more than one option there. Um, but this is the song we're going to be learning, and it's a song you've heard many times. I know you kids, you're going to know it. In fact, I chose this song because you kids, they just, man, they sing their hearts out. And this song is so true to what we're talking about here. And we're going to listen to it. If you want to sing along with it, you can, but understand you may want to mumble along with it because it's a little bit different than the way you learned it as a child. But it's still the same, the same essence. So here it is, This Little Light of Mine.
people say, what must I do to be saved? You live your life in such a way, the text goes on and follows through. And one thing he says is, believe on the Lord Jesus. And that word believe, it means to trust. It means I fully rely upon Jesus. He's Lord. That means I submit to him. It's a word that it means to exercise supernatural authority over humanity. Jesus is the king of God's kingdom. We come and we submit to him. You want to know about Mark? This is the way it starts out. Man, it's quick. The other thing he talked about is the message of the Lord. That's what you need to know. You need to know the Lord's message. What message? We've seen it all through here. It's the kingdom of God. He's broken through. Jesus is enthroned. Jesus Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. And, and he doesn't tell us what everything that he said there, but baptism was something that's brought up, right? Immersion. There's something about this ritual, you know? There's just something about this ritual that, w- that is very interesting. There's not been a conversion story that we have read through Acts that baptism is not included. The same with the kingdom, the same with Jesus. Uh, and, and what happens is that there is this, this washing Right? Sometimes you want to know what's Leviticus about. It's about holiness, right? It's about the fact that there's there's sin and sin cannot be a part of holiness. And we see these these all these things, but the main thing that we see is there is blood and water, right? There is this this washing. And and what Jesus does, and all that would do is create a space that that some could come into the presence of God. But what happens with Jesus is is greater, right? This is what is being pointed to. And the fact that Jesus takes something that is common, such as washing of water, and when we use his name with it, it is something that creates a cleanliness through our whole selves so that the very presence of God can now come and be in us. Through the Spirit of God. It's powerful. So Luke demonstrates through hospitality. I don't know if you see hospitality. I know the ladies are talking about hospitality on Sunday nights. Some of you go to that class and heard so many great things about it. And and hospitality then was a little bit different than now. It's important for us to understand how we are to be hospitable now because, you know, um, that's good. But it isn't a coincidence that there's a detail that Luke shares in, in these first conversions, and one with Lydia, and that is after her household. Now notice, there's a key word with household and then the hospitality. 
So the household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And then what we see here with the jailer, he brought them up into his house. He set a meal before them. And he rejoiced because he believed that God, believed in God with his entire household. This was a big thing. Because hospitality was more than your, 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 what we call a, a, a southern lady, right? Or a southern, you're treating them southern, okay? This was, if you brought someone into your house, if you, if you gave them a meal, and what that meant is, I, am, I feel responsible for you, even to the point of protecting you. Why is that such a big deal? Did we just read about the mob scene? Do we see how these people feel about things? And the jailer, jailer brings him in, serves him a meal, and says that he's, he's rejoicing. Some think that they took communion together. They took the, the bread and the cup. I, I don't know. What I do know is there's, there's rejoicing over what's happening. And, and what it's showing is these people are changed. They're not the same as they were before. The point is the good news should change us. It should change our families in radical ways. There is a bond that happens as we begin this, this journey together in the discipleship process. We're walking together. We're sharing together. We feel responsible for protecting the very people who are part of the children of God. You see this. Who have you thought about your one? Who have you thought about discipling? And if you're like me, look, I'm not pointing at you. I'm pointing at me too. If you're like me, the people that you generally are thinking of are your friends. Or, or people who are good, have been good to you. Or we think about people that have good morals, right? But have really, really thought about our enemy. Have we really thought about someone whose life is just messed up? But maybe you feel, you know what, I, I, I couldn't do that with my enemy because there's no way that my enemy's going to think that I want to talk to him about Jesus because of the way I've, I've lived my life before them. It doesn't mean, hey, they didn't have it coming to them. It just means I didn't love them the way God loved them. And what I say to you is this, you know, you, you, can't, you can't go back in time, but what we can do is repent. What we can do is, is really make changes in our lives and for those same people to see us. And they may not say, well, what do I need to do to be saved? But there may come a point in the time of their life where there's crisis and they will know. They can go to you and find that answer because of the way you've lived your life. And for those who are in here and you're still searching in your life, what I want to say to you is what we see through all of these conversions, and that is God loves you and he is pursuing you like you've never been pursued before, whether you know it or not. He is sending his people out in dangerous places because he cannot live without you any longer. He wants you to feel the same way. Because he wants to save you. 
We're not a perfect church. We acknowledge that. But we are walking in this thing together. Even as we stumble over Jesus' words to love our enemies, we're still walking in this together, and we realize there's something greater and something higher, and that we continue to commit to this Jesus, and we just, just stay focused on him. So if we can help you with the question of what must I do to be saved? We want to do that. And maybe it's learn more about Jesus. Maybe for you it's just it's time to get baptized. Or maybe there's something in your life you need just to be praying about. We want to do that. We want to do that. We want to pray with each other. Um, this is the great God that we serve. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you for your blessings we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Father, thank you for, for pursuing us when we, we didn't deserve it, when we deserve to die. But Father, we, your love is so great. It's so amazing. Father, I just pray for everyone in this room right now that is, refers to themselves as a follower of yours. Father, just help us Help us, Father, to see our, our, the faults of our ways, to continue to repent in our lives and to continue to conform to your son, Jesus. Father, we, we, we can't do it without you. And Father, we pray for those that we're trying to reach. Father, help us do it in the right way. Help us to be the right people out in this world that people see us and they just see Jesus But we fail. We know we fail. Father, just keep helping us get stronger. I pray for our desires. And I pray for those who are here this morning and and they're they're ready. They're ready to make this decision. Father, just, just help them. Whether it happens during this song or whether it's after worship is over and they want to talk more, Father, just, just be with them. Be with their hearts. And so, Father, we pray all of these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.